Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Apple delivering better than expected results and guidance and poised to recapture a trillion dollar market cap. Here in New York to discuss is Laurie Calvacina. Very pleased to say we've got with us RBC Capital Markets Head of US Equity Strategy. Good morning to you, Laurie. Good morning, John. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you with us. So your line, reporting season, looking solid, though not spectacular. Is that enough? I think it's enough for a little while. I don't know that it's necessarily the catalyst that can that can you know propel us to big highs later this year. But I think it's enough. I think if you're a short-term trader, I think you can enjoy the ride a little bit longer. Um, but but longer term, I think we're going to need more catalysts. Your year-end forecast still has some pretty decent upside from here though, Laurie. Well, we're 29.50. Um, so we're, we're basically, you know, right in line with it right now. And what we've said is we could see some overshoot in the short term. Um, we haven't put a precise number on that, but I would say, you know, maybe sort of north of 3,000 or so. Um, but I think if you're a longer term investor and you're thinking about where we're going to be at the end of the year, I would be locking in those gains and starting to take in some profits. There were some worries as the year progressed about an earnings recession. As the year has grown older, those worries have diminished somewhat. Are we going to avoid that this year? I think we're going to avoid it, but I do think it's important to note that, that what we're seeing under the surface suggests it might be a low quality uh, kind of avoidance. And and the way I've put it is, you know, we've kind of got this flat number now for 1Q, flattish number for 2Q. At least in terms of what happened in 1Q, I think companies were really throwing everything but the kitchen sink at this reporting season. So we've, we've seen things like pricing buybacks were enormous. The share count reduction was 2.2% in 1Q, the greatest we've seen since the financial crisis. We've even seen a lot of companies talking about their cost initiatives, about a third of companies overall. And we've actually noticed a lot of companies that worked their tax rates down in the first quarter. So your take, Laurie's take is really important here, Tom, because you think these companies are pulling a lot of levers to support margins. How sustainable is it? Well, that's our big question for the second half of the year. And I do think, you know, they can probably do a little bit of it, you know, in in the second quarter. But I think a lot of people have been worried about this kind of ramp up in earnings growth in the second half of the year that's supporting, you know, kind of this two, three percent type consensus number. Uh, you know, you'll probably be able to do the buybacks, but I, some of these things like cost controls and especially tax, I think yeah. that feels more one time. And I, I really give you major credit for the tax analysis. I've noticed that as well, that some of these taxes are coming in shockingly low as well. If there's a caution out there, a lot of our listeners are saying, okay, that's great, but why mess around? Just go to cash, go to short term, grab a coupon, whatever. So what is the nuance of this word caution. The, the, the problem is, you know, go back to what happened on December 24th. So we had gone from having, you know, sort of big valuation problems, big crowding problems to the exact opposite of that. And then the market just turned on a dime. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily think you have to take a long-term bearish view at this point and just bail, but I would start to lock in profits. I would start to look at things like healthcare. I would look at things like energy, look at things like financials, which are finally starting to work. There's just more value there than some of these big things that have run up. This sounds like that class rotation away from growth and to value. We've heard it so many times, Laurie. Why is this the right time to do it? So, you know, I think in terms of looking at the broader market dynamics, what we, what we figured out basically is that the growth trade is going to break down when the market breaks down. And when we look through our work specifically at the valuation and positioning models, we find we're right back to last year's highs on some of them and getting closer on others. CFTC data mm-hmm. on U.S. equity futures positioning is within spitting distance of last January and September's highs. It's telling you the institutional yeah. community has gotten to euphoric. You know, I miss a lot of stuff out there, John, as you well know. But 
Citigroup, I just happened to pick C because it's a simple symbol, up 48% off the bottom. I mean, I did not, I did I have not to know admit, that. I, I missed that too. I, I, didn't, that. I didn't know the move was These that aggressive. Huge moves. But to your point, Laurie, on the participation point, it's not a story that gets told on this network on this program very often. In fact, most people say that we haven't had the participation yet. Are you saying we have? Well, you know, we, we don't think there was a ton of cash on the sidelines to begin with this year. And we went through and we looked at domestic and global equity funds. Didn't really go up in 4Q. One client told me, he said, any money I raised had to go to redemptions. Um, I, I mean, it's, I mean that, that's just a very practical explanation of what happened. Households, if you look at the Federal Reserve flow of funds data, ticked up a teeny tiny bit, but nowhere near the spikes we've seen in the past when retail investors did have a lot of cash on the sidelines. We looked at asset allocation funds. So these are the guys who do stocks, bonds, cash globally. Now, they did raise a bit of money in the fourth quarter, but we have some preliminary data for 1Q. They already worked a lot of that down, and what they did work down, they actually were putting into non-U.S. equities, not U.S. equities. So So what you're saying is the street as a general statement missed this huge bull market. People missed it, and there's some survey data. Then why do I get off of it? Why do I get off the seven favorite stocks that are out there, whatever they are? Well, you know, one thing we track is actually the most crowded names in mutual funds and hedge yeah. funds, and they actually haven't been leading the market this year. They've been kind of moving in line, kind of a sideways What is type leading trend. the market this year? Um, technology as a broader sector has been doing very Socks, well. Um, in semis. Semis have yeah. been doing really well. And you know what? They looked super cheap a few months ago. They look fairly valued on our models right now. And so it's not surprising to me that you're actually starting to see some profits taken. Okay, so this weekend, John Farrell is going to be in line at Glossier waiting to get makeup. And and somebody's going to be standing there going... this is how I spend my weekend. Laurie's so confused right now. John's going to be OMG. They're going to go, OMG, it's John Farrell. Do you know how long and, the line is at Glossier? It's ridiculous. Well, we're going to find <laughs> right, right now. So anyways, John's going to be in line. They're going to go, OMG, it's the star of Bloomberg Surveillance. And they're going to ask John... How do they stomach a 24 multiple on a consumer discretionary? How do you stomach a 24 multiple when, as you say, there's other things trading cheap? Yeah, and look, I, I can't comment on them specifically, I but I, I, I do think... <laughs> Come on, Citigroup, go <laughs> yeah. with the game here. It's radio. There's a 10 multiple on Citigroup. No, I, I think investors have demonstrated to me in my conversations just this year that they're much more sensitive to what they're paying for different levels of growth than they've been in the past. So I even hear you know, growth investors who generally don't even want to mention a valuation multiple are talking about GARP-type metrics or talking about PEG ratios. Um, so we do think that's entering into the lexicon. And look, I know energy technically is kind of underperforming now, year to date, but about a week ago, it was actually still outperforming. And we were seeing investors recognizing the valuation opportunity there, recognizing the buybacks, recognizing the dividends, and saying, hey, this is great. We just don't want them to do dumb M&A. Now, I think that tensions turn to financials. Healthcare is starting to get a lot of interest. um, And and I don't think anyone wants to step in front of the politics Well, it was on its knees for a while. Right, right. And, you know, well, healthcare has been interesting. I mean, it, it had a great run into December. It lagged to start the year. It, it absolutely fell apart in April, and then it bounced right back. You know, it, it's still down for the year, but it, you did see this sort of contingent of people who went out and said, the politics probably, you know, are worse, are, are not as bad as feared. We're going to go ahead and get in. I want to get a final word for you on small but caps. It's an area of the market that has lagged. Yeah. Do you see the catch-up taking place? You know, we, we've been hoping that it would. I mean, we do see a tremendous amount of value there. 
it's starting to bother me, frankly, that we're not getting it because the end of March, we did see, start to see a lot of cyclical areas like financials, like the banks really yeah. take off. Small caps did it briefly and then they faded again. The valuation story's there. The dollar catalyst is now uh, there. But the problem is that stronger dollar is not translating yeah. into better earnings revisions. We talked about levers. They just don't have as many yeah. to pull. Laurie, great to catch L- up with you. Laurie, nobody cares. Can UVA repeat? I hope so. You know, when, when I was there, we were terrible at sports, so I, I'm still in a state of disbelief. You're one but, um, of the, you, you went to the UVA nerd campus. I, I did. I, I actually and, thought and we, we were, were going to get a Barcelona-Liverpool prediction from it for a minute. <laughs> I'm pleased you went with UVA. I, I went I'm, with I'm, UVA. Thank you. I, I'm bullish. They're the long-term secular growers in sports. <laughs> okay, please come back. <laughs> Lori Calvacita uh, with us on this of May RBC. Day. Which is, oh, RBC. Catch up with you. It's thrilled to have her uh, with us. Now, an adult conversation on Apple. John? Dan Ives joining us, Wedbush Securities Managing Director. Good morning to you, Dan. Great to be here. Great to have you with us. You and I sat down a number of months ago, and right before they gave us the profit warning and cut their forecast, you said they need to throw the kitchen sink at this. They need to fess up because things aren't good in China. They did. Now we sit here, May they're turning around and saying things are getting better and things are getting better because they cut prices. Is that the story here, Dan, this morning? Yeah, I mean, that's the best thing they did because they took their medicine, fessed up, China fell off a cliff, but they've cut prices. I remember 60 to 70 million iPhones are coming up for an upgrade in China. That continues to be the key fuel for Cook and Cupertino. Four million iPhones are coming up for an upgrade at the Keene household. They'll all break just before uh, the new model that's, comes that's out. That's what happens, right? Four million. Is Suddenly the kid like, drops the phone oh, yeah. on the floor two as weeks, the new one drops. Two weeks after <laughs> Oh, Dad, it broke in a bar. Continue, John. Dan, what do you make of the upgrade cycle? Look, I mean, this upgrade cycle, in my opinion, it, it's hit a speed bump in terms of what we've seen in the last few quarters, but it comes down to the pure numbers. 900 million active iPhones, 350 million of those, based on our estimates, over the next 12 to 18 months are coming up for an upgrade. Just given the pure install base retention, we believe Apple is a stock that's going to make new highs here over the coming months. Let's go partial differential. All this happy talk on China and price cuts. What's its elasticity into the 38% margin? Look, I think right now for Apple, it's actually less about what I would say the price elasticity and more importantly, making sure that they keep those customers. Because when it comes down to the services and the monetization, that's the key. You got to keep those 60 to 70 million iPhone customers come out yeah, for but their upgrade. mantra is profit. I mean, Steve Jobs' mantra was profit. Are they giving up the profit mantra? In China, they're going to have to give up some of the profit. And that's why the price cuts were something that they needed to do. They had pricing hubris. They got hit over the head with it in terms of Chinese consumers speaking, not going to spend one month paycheck for an iPhone. And now they're doing the right things and you're seeing demand come back. Reality check. Are we back to revenue growth in the next quarter? I I think starting as we get into Q4 in September, and especially in 2020, that's where really growth comes back. And that's why right now the street this morning, even a lot of the naysayers, they're starting to now look at 2020. And I, especially with that services business, worth $400 billion to $450 billion, in our opinion, on some of the parts, this is a stock right now that has its mojo back. Is the revenue mix changing quickly enough for you, away from hardware towards services? 
Well, I think it's a balance because you don't want to see it change too quickly because at the end of the day, the core meat and potatoes of Apple are iPhones. That continues yep. to be 65% of profits and, and, and revenue. But it does come down to services is going to be the next step in terms of monetizing. Well, let's talk about how you monetize services. You think they're going to make an acquisition. Let's get the Dan Ives crystal ball out. What kind of acquisition? How much money? Well, I think that this will be in the next six months. They will make a large content acquisition. Oh, come on, give us and some And we've names. talked about Sony Pictures. And a Darko Petroleum? What are they going to buy? <laughs> I think that's a dark horse. But, I would, but I'd, view, I'd view MGM, Sony Pictures, really? A24. Seriously? And we've talked about CBS Viacom as a very viable This is really cool because it goes to Apple's ethos, which is a constant cash flow. They pick up their libraries. They get all the publishing flow of that cash flow. That's, I mean, they're comfortable with that, right? Oh, they're comfortable. And I think part of why they're keeping everything close to the vest in terms of the yeah. streaming services initiative, which will officially get launched in fall, I think there is a significant acquisition that they're looking to do on content. That's the key. And in our opinion, from okay. a larger deal, CBS Viacom is the one that makes the most sense. I, I mean, they're trading now at 17. It used to be a 12 multiple, whatever. The multiple's coming up. What do you say to the Apple fanboys that say this thing should trade you know, 25, 30 multiple? Well, I think this is a stock that's in the process of getting re-rated. Historically, 12 right. to 16 times. You know, when it gets to 12, you tell your your grandparents to buy it at 16, tell them to sell it. Now, fundamentally, right now, it's just starting to say and get re-rated on the services business. That's going to take time. Not going to happen overnight. But in our opinion, that's what's okay. happening here. What's the, the comparatives? What's the EBITDA line of iPhones, toys, stuff, Macs, iPads versus the EBITDA line of services? I mean, it's you, ginormous, right? It's ginormous because if you look at services today, the amount of services being a $50 billion revenue stream. But remember, margins. How much of that do they take down to some form of line on the income So statement? if you think about that. 30 billion? It's about 30 to 35 yeah. billion that, that they take down of services. And that's why that services right now is basically a pure moneymaker, yeah. which is why it's so key to monetize. So Tom that. asked you about the Apple fanboys. Can we talk about the Tesla fanboys just for a moment too? Sure. You're bullish Apple. You are not bullish Tesla. You've downgraded that stock in the last couple of weeks. I think you called the call a debacle. What do you make of what's going on right now, Dan? Well, I think you compare and contrast the adults in the room like a cook and Apple versus what we saw with Tesla and Musk. And I think that was the big issue what we saw in earnings is that it comes down to they continue to live in a sci-fi fictional novel in terms of what's happening, in terms of core demand and their need to raise capital, which is was our fundamental issue. We believe three billion of capital is going to need to be raised. This continues to be a strong company in terms of how they're positioned, but fundamentally, and you're seeing the stock, now it comes down to what the profitability path is and when they're going to have to oh, hit the on, bid on the capital. What's the price rate. target? Come on, so, thinking, the, 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 talk about fanboys. 350 to a range of 300, and we're enjoying 238 this morning. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we think this is a range-bound stock. We're 270. And You're still at 270, even yeah, with all we've had. Look, in my opinion right now, the path here is more dark days ahead before we see brighter <clears throat> right. days in terms of just given demand and given the pure okay. financial. This came up earlier this week. Uh, if you're just joining us, Dan Ives with us with decades of experience in uh, the fever, the hoopla, and the reality of tech. Does Google need to be more Apple-like? They don't have a dividend. They're not deploying, you know, in, in any great enthusiasm, cash back to shareholders. They're, I know they're still young and eager and there's no gray hairs and I get all that. But do they need to be more like the blue chippiness of Apple? 
Well, I think before that, they have to make a significant acquisition, specifically in cloud. I think that's something that, and I think you saw the writing on the wall in terms of Alphabet's numbers. You look what happened to Microsoft, AWS. Google has to make an acquisition, a large deal in cloud. We believe that's something that once Such that happens. I mean, when you look at names that they could go after, that those are names like a ServiceNow, a Workday, a Salesforce in terms of large deals, potentially um, a Hubs. Because you look at where Google is in cloud, they're a rounding error. And where's the strength going in enterprise? It's AWS and Amazon. Look at Microsoft and Nadella. That's how the stocks. I mean, Dan, Sa Salesforce dollars. is a one hundred and twenty-eight billion dollar business. You actually think they could do a deal that big? <clears throat> We've talked about likely Google is going to have to make a significant deal. That's obviously more on the larger side. But part of why they brought Tom Curian in from Oracle was to do significant M&A. They're no longer going to be on the treadmill. And I think that will be the next step with Google yeah. to make a significant M&A deal on cloud. Doug emails in from Florida. He says, who's going to buy Twitter? Um, I think Twitter continues to be a standalone company. And I, oh, and I think... Well, really? But, well, I think when you look at social media, I think there was... You went through a period here where there was potential M&A bids right. for some of those names. I think now Dorsey and those yeah. guys have mojo and feel like they're going to do it themselves. Okay, I want to reframe this. Eric Ross just out with a readjust up to 230 on Apple. Uh, what, Dan, what your target on Apple again? Yes, we raised the 235, but I believe if they continue to execute, this is stock that could go meaningfully higher. And I think... Well, come on, come on. You're among friends here. 300? Look, I think 300 is getting egregious. If they, if they execute and on the services, that could be worth another 20 or $30 per share, which could push you to 260. 245 is the highest on the street at the moment. Thank you. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I just was busting. I love busting Dan's A lot of upgrades this morning. If you go to the a yeah. page on the Bloomberg Terminal and just look yeah. at the analyst calls. Dan, and, Dan. and remember, three months ago, a lot of, the, yeah. a lot of my competitors you know, we're viewing this like a toxic stock and the New York City cab yeah. driver was negative on it. Dan, Dan emailed me the fifth week of February in 2001 and said, Tom, sell everything. Except I didn't open the email until April, so. If he opened the email, what would have happened? Hey, Dan, great to catch up with Life you. Would have been Thanks, different. Dan Ives, Dan Ives. Securities Managing Director. This is the definitive interview of the day on Venezuela. We are thrilled to have with us Shannon O'Neill. If you do not know her, she's vice president, the Council on Foreign Relations. She is the Rockefeller Fellow on Latin America, which barely describes her holistic understanding of Latin and South America. We spoke to her earlier this morning. Shannon, I need to go to the immediate news, and the headline is, there isn't any I'm stunned at the silence out of Caracas here at 10 minutes to 9 in the morning. Are you surprised at the lack of news flow from Caracas this morning? Well, given yesterday morning was very tumultuous with videos coming out from the opposition, uh, with military behind the Gu yeah. Guaido and, and the other leaders, today is very quiet, right? We hear nothing coming out. Last night, Maduro uh, had a video. He had the military brass behind him, so showing his or trying to show his control of the situation. And this morning, as you say, it's quiet. So it doesn't look like much yeah. has changed overnight. And the question is, what happens today? It's May Day. There's been a call for big opposition protests. We'll see if people turn out on the streets. 
Washington is not quiet. The Secretary of State with Fox, John Bolton, and CNN within the last hour, both of them making headlines, talking the company uh, line. Identify where the company line goes for the Trump administration. Is this a company line that's political, or does it include discussions with the Pentagon? Well, what we saw so far yesterday and then this morning is a company line that condemns Venezuela, that supports the Venezuelan opposition, and then quickly turns to Cuba and brings yes. Cuba into this. Cuba as an instigator of, of the problems there, as a supporter of the Maduro regime, and demanding right. that Cuba step down. And, and so that company line has really continued, but has also morphed the two countries together rather than just focusing on Venezuela. And Senator Rubio tweeting out two hours ago with an update on his thoughts on Florida and Cuba as well. Shannon O'Neill, let's go to this. We have Fidel Castro. We have Raul Castro, who I believe is 86 or 87. There's a new guy in Cuba, a younger guy. He has clearly supported Mr. Maduro. How should anyone in America, and particularly the Trump administration, respond to this triangle of Washington, well, let's call it a trapezoid, Washington, Miami, Havana, and Caracas? How does the Trump administration adapt to that? Well, the Trump administration is putting those two in the same basket. But as we look at Venezuela and some sort of solution there, we can't forget the other big players that are right now backing the Maduro government. Yes, there's 50-plus nations, including the United States, that represent yeah. or recognize Juan Guaido, but China and Russia are backing the Maduro government so far. And particularly Russia has been backing them with military support, at least advisors, if not more, on the ground in Venezuela. So those are two players that as we look at a triangle or trapezoid, we right. shouldn't forget that those two are as important as well. I mean, I guess John Hay in the time of Ted Roosevelt uh, John Hay did not have to worry about China and Russia in his interpretation of a 1904 Monroe Doctrine. Give us an update on the Monroe Doctrine. John Bolton was just talking about it on CNN. Do we have a Monroe Doctrine that excludes them? Well, we, right. Bolton is bringing the Monroe Doctrine back again and this idea that the Western Hemisphere should be the preserve of the United States as, as the great players or, or the big actors. And at the time, it was against the European nations, Britain and others who might be messing around. You know, today it is really about China and Russia and their influence there. Um, and that is that standoff is something to be watching. Obviously, the United States and Russia have had disagreements in places like Syria and, and other around the world. The question is what happens here in Venezuela, because so far it looks that Russia is strongly backing this Maduro government that the U.S. is condemning. So then, that is but another potential flashpoint around the world between those two nations. Then what is your prescription in Caracas for these people that want to push up against Maduro? I mean, we saw what we saw yesterday, but what is the next for Mr. Guaido and his people? You know, I do think you will see Guaido and the opposition today call for a big rally, see if they can bring people out into the streets to pressure the regime. Uh, and while Maduro did remain in the presidential palace last night and, and woke up there this morning, yeah. his his control is not airtight. And the fact that you saw some breaks yesterday, you saw at least some lower-level military come out, the fact that you saw uh, this question of was there backroom dealing, were there negotiations going on behind his back, it shows that the military is not fully uh, compact and, and in control there. So I do think what the opposition can do, given that they don't control guns, given that they don't control the different parts of the government, is that they can bring out the people and show that the, gov that the people of Venezuela are no longer with this oh. regime. And see if you can get some of the military and others to, 
to side with them. What is going on outside Caracas? I mean, my reading of the Cuban Revolution 1959 was so much of it actually occurred in eastern Cuba away from Havana. Is there an eastern Cuba for Venezuela right now that can provide a swelling of support against Mr. Maduro? So yesterday you saw people come out in the street, obviously in Caracas, but also in the other cities around Venezuela. Venezuela is a very urban country. Some 80% of the population lives in urban areas, but it's not just the capital. And so you have seen people across the nation come out and want change. And a big part of that is what has happened economically. This is a country that is destitute. Its GDP is more than halved in, in just a few years. Uh, inflation is at over 10 million percent and climbing. And this is a place of desperation, uh, along with political repression. So you do see well, people coming out across the nation. What's a humanitarian prescription right now for Mr. Maduro? I mean, a lot of the Western press, and particularly the United States, is poor Guaido. I understand that. But is this where Mr. Maduro with Cuba, with uh, China and Russia, gets humanitarian in the next two or three weeks? You know, we have not seen the Maduro government care about the humanitarian side. Why not? Why not? Why not? Well, because this is a kleptocratic criminal government at this point. Um, They're more interested in uh, protecting Uh, their money, protecting their power. Um, They uh, are running drugs. They are doing all kinds of bad behaviors coming out of the government. And what they have been doing, which is actually the Cuba example, is if you don't agree with the government, they'd prefer you to leave. And so we have seen over 3 million refugees leave Venezuela. And I have to say, if we don't see a political resolution coming up uh, in some way anytime soon, we're going to see millions of more Venezuelans leave. Dr. O'Neill, I've got so much more to talk about, but we are out of time. Uh, We will do this, unfortunately, sooner than not with the news flow out of Venezuela. Shannon O'Neill with the Council on Foreign Relations. going to get right to it. I was walking vet bill down Fifth Avenue last night. Somebody came up and they said, how do you do it? How do you get up that early in the morning? And as Paul Sweeney knows, we're just honored with the quality of the guest. Have Shannon O'Neill with us with a council on foreign relations on Venezuela. And now Randall Krosner of the University of Chicago Booth School, the former governor of the Fed on this tumultuous Fed. Professor Krosner, how do you respond when any president of the United States says keep the punch bowl to the brim? How do you respond? Well, I think um, presidents almost always say something like that, either implicitly or explicitly. This president is much more explicit. um, But uh, the Fed is always in a uh, political grip. Uh, It is part of the um, it is part of the government. It is created by Congress, and it, its mandate and its structure can always be changed by Congress. And so, um, I don't. I think this is much more explicit, but uh, that the the Fed is under political pressure is nothing new. The briefing of GDP and economic growth from the top line three point two percent to domestic final sales, which are pretty soggy. You know the story, Professor. External exports and inventory dynamics, and that is fine. I'm going to assume. The PhDs at the Fed don't work on actual granule data. They smooth things out into a moving average. How is the moving average of the American economy right now? 
I think it's looking pretty good. Uh, we certainly had um, you know, a strong growth last year of almost uh, almost three percent, and we're getting a you know, we got a good read in the the first quarter. I think much stronger than people had expected a few months ago. Um, are we expecting three percent again for the full year this year? No, uh, but um, it suggests that the uh, the recovery has uh, has legs. So, Professor, it, I think most participants in the market would believe that this Fed has done a credible job managing uh, the economic slowdown to a, perhaps a soft landing, if you will. How do you grade this Fed over the last year or so? Uh, so uh, it's, it's always difficult to, to give out these uh, these grades. I do I do that in other, uh, in other fora. <laughs> I figured uh, but, it was natural. Uh, you can go pass fail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, they certainly pass, okay. sure, I, I think. Um, yeah, we, uh, we've had uh, good growth with uh, uh, very little inflation, and we're continuing to to have growth. There's a lot of concern that that one quarter percentage point rise in December was going to lead to economic Armageddon. Don't really see that given the uh, the, the GDP report. Um, I think sometimes people put a little bit too much emphasis on one quarter of a percentage point plus yeah. or minus what the Fed does. You know, if the if the world economy and the yeah. U.S. economy is really dependent on just one quarter percentage point, then it's probably a much mm. more fundamental issue rather than a Fed issue. What is your experience of when there's a bet by the market as seen in Fed futures or other fancy derivative instruments about what the Fed, like Krosner on the Fed, will game out three months, six months, nine months, 12 months? Right now, off the fancy mm-hmm. paraphernalia, the Bloomberg, and frankly, folks, Professor Krosner teaches the dynamics of that, the math of that wisdom uh, at Booth. But right now, there's a 54% likelihood of a rate cut, Randy, at the October Fed meeting. How do we get there? What does that mean to a governor like you? So uh, certainly the uh, the markets um, build have, their They have a belief. And, and hopefully build that based uh, at least in part on uh, the guidance that uh, Fed officials are giving. I think the, the pivot to patients that they have, have said that they um, uh, have suggests that they're going to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, that's, it's a bet on um, whether they think the uh, U.S. economy will uh, con- continue to grow and whether inflation will stay not too far from the, the 2% goal. We're seeing signs that the economy is going to continue on in a reasonable pace, maybe not quite at this this pace. But there's a lot of concerns that inflation right. may be flagging. But this is and a, but this is important. I'm going to run out of time, Professor. So I've got to get this important question sure. in to guys like you. And you said it. Do you look at market belief on what guys like you will do as a bet or a speculation? Or is there a more gospel sense of it as it's portrayed in the media? Uh, I think it's a little less close to gospel. Uh, I think uh, it's an interpretation and a combination of people's expectations about what the Fed will do, plus expectations about where the economy is going. But trying to predict the economy six months out, mm, not always. uh, The crystal ball is sometimes cloudy. Very else like the Cubs and the White Sox. Randall Crosner, thank you so much. Greatly appreciated. He is a former governor of the Federal Reserve System, of course, uh, first rate in mathematics and financial dynamics at Booth School at Chicago.
Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.